everybody to Breaking K-Fade with a Valdrin and Barry, episode 192, Barry. Joining me from Plymouth Meeting, PA. Did I get it right, Bear? You did get it right. Boom. Thank you very much. A boom shakalaka. And uh, today on this fine broadcast, Peabody and Sherman, uh, Sherman, a winning podcast, we are going to offer up for you this date in history in CWF, uh, June 8th. A date, Barry, can I say, smack full of major angles and events? You can, and it's a uh, an angle that smacked me in the face when I first saw it, so yes. Okay. Besides that, we'll be doing our match of the week. We're going to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, April 2nd, 1993, the Bluegrass Brawl. We're doing the main event, a nine-man, nine-man, Barry, a nine-man match, as we have the Heavenly Bodies and Bobby Eaton taking on Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, Dutch Mantell and the Rock and Roll Express and Arn Anderson. Woo, it's a it's a jam-packed old school Southern style brawl, Barry. And we're gonna be talking about that. We are going to be reviewing the movie, oh Barry, Bound from 1996, the Wachowskis, a uh, story of of love, deception, and heist. And it's good stuff. And let's see what else. Oh, I think we might be mentioning our Patreon episode that just dropped, Barry. What do you say? You ready to go? I think it's time. Are, are we going to mention the Patreon just once, though, Jeff? Or You know us. We, we try to be low-key about our new All Patreon, right. uh, which is available, by the way, for $5. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm sure that's going to be the only mention we'll have of it, maybe. All right, so, Barry, right off the get-go here, we do want to make a mention that, unfortunately, we had some news uh, over the past few days. Uh, a guy that was at one of the CWF Legends Fan Fest uh, a guy that was a, uh, a fairly well-known attraction up in the uh, the Northeast, particularly uh, he wrestled, I know, for Bruno San Martino's promotion out of uh, Pittsburgh as the Batman, and that is Tony Marino. Not unexpected, but still a tough loss, Bear. It is a tough loss, too, and I'll tell you, and you're right, Jeff, it, it wasn't unexpected. We had received word, and I shared that with you, I guess a month or two months ago, that Tony was essentially in hospice care and wasn't doing well. And uh, they were hopeful that he was going to be able to hang on for his 90th birthday. And he did hang on. And actually then some, he, he's, you know, he's stuck around, but Tony was a, you know, you hear the word legend and certainly I'm guilty. Uh, Jody Simon, Jody Malenko used to give me shit all the time because I referred to everybody as a legend. And, and I am guilty of that. I'm always saying, Oh, legendary, this, Tony fucking Marino was a professional wrestling legend. And sadly, he didn't really translate into what the current generation would be. I think his last national appearances would have been on TBS's Devil Blue, which was, uh, you know, there was a gimmick here. You've got this kind of muscular badass wearing this blue powder blue mask. But he was he was a legitimate badass first off. But what a career. You know, you go back, he was Batman, spelled with two Ts for legal reasons. Did have a Robin. I think that was John Foti. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that, that name correctly. But Tony Marino was the real deal. And Tony was a guy that we had at our second, a second ever CWF Legends Fan Fest. And he was almost a late addition. Tony lived in Tampa for many years. And uh, would show up at the Legends luncheons occasionally, and then he would go off the radar and nobody was in contact with him. And as it turned out, he showed up at one of the luncheons and we approached him. He said, I would love to do it. But we, you know, we had to be with Tony. 
because he his memory wasn't great at that stage. And that's going back three and a half years ago. His memory wasn't great, but I was so excited that he he would agree to do our fan fest. And then when he did our fan fest, I got to tell you, I popped big time. That was a big deal for me. And I sat with Tony that day and talked with him for maybe 20 or 25 minutes. And I put a bunch of old Florida programs in front of him. And it was really the most amazing thing because every time he would look at one of these programs, he had a story and he would go, yeah, you know, and he, he had a Mike Graham story who we had worked with and a Jerry Briscoe story. And, and he was honest about a lot of it. He didn't, you didn't necessarily love everybody and he was honest about it. But uh, for me, that was such a thrill to be able to sit there and have this conversation with Tony and get his recollections. And, you know, I, I say this all the time and I'm going to up this just a little bit. If you ever have a chance to meet somebody that you've either liked, idolized, admired, whatever it is, in any form, do it because tomorrow is not promised for any of us. It's just, it's not going to be there. And, you know, a guy like Tony too, we knew Tony, I think was 86 or 87 when we had him still could have easily kicked all of our asses, Jeff, I should say (laughs) if, you know, if physically this guy could have easily taken us down he was still a barrel. Penzer, Penzer, definitely he could kick his ass. Well, yeah, that that's a, that's for sure. But you know, he still was in physically just in great shape, and we actually he stuck around that night and uh, had dinner with us, and you know, just a thrill, just a thrill to have him. And it, this was sad because I was talking with uh, my boy the other day, and we were talking about, and I, I mentioned Tony Marino had passed, and he goes, Tony Marino, that was the Batman guy, and I was like, yeah, and we talked for a while and we started talking about guys that had passed who had been at our fan fest. And obviously Rocky Johnson passed away six weeks after our last event. Uh, Rip Oliver, just a couple of months, obviously Tony Marino. And, and there may be others that I just, for whatever reason, it's just not registering, but you know, make that effort, get in the car, drive, do what you have to do. I'm not saying it's gotta be at one of our events, you know, Look, if you've got somebody appearing near you and whether it's a concert or whatever it is, make that effort because you're not going to regret that. But Tony Marino, rest in peace. I, I really liked you, brother. And we raise an adult beverage to the memory of Tony Marino as we are wont to do here. I mean, let me just throw out there. Uh, if you live in the uh, the northeastern part of the United States and you get a chance, please support our friend Nick Massey. Nick is always great about getting guys to appear on our show, and we are certainly appreciative of that and gals. Uh, and, uh, so, um, if you can't come to the CWF legends fan fest and you live in the Northeast, please, by all means support Nick Massey and what he does and getting the legends of the wrestling business to appear, whether it's virtually or in person. So we want to encourage you to do that. So Barry, moving along, got a quick question for you and I'm throwing this at you a little bit unannounced just because I like to get the old visceral reaction. So the other day, a question was asked in the group. And uh, there was a little bit of blowback uh, on the question from some people that may have uh, sent personal messages to the person who made the post. But I think it was a legitimate, good question. So, Barry, as asked by a friend of the show, Ian Totten, Barry, Eddie Gilbert, underrated or overrated? Ah, and this is an interesting one, Jeff, because I did have a a relationship of sorts with Eddie Gilbert. Eddie Gilbert 
The first time I ever met Eddie Gilbert was 1978. And I also met a young, a budding photographer named Jim Cornette. It was my first time ever attending a WFIA convention. And Jim and Eddie were already friends. And I, I became friends with Jim and Eddie. But even, you know, as friendly as I was with Jim, which actually lasted for a few years, I became pretty tight with Eddie over you know, the course of a year or two there. And he was a great, great guy. It, professional wrestling took him down a path that I don't think had he been in, uh, let's say the construction business or something else, or maybe he was selling cars that he ever would have gone down that path because I, I believe he might've been a different person than the person that I knew. I think history has been overly kind to Eddie in the fact that he did die very young, relatively young had a probably larger than life career in a lot of ways, but I think history has been kind. I don't want to say he definitely wasn't underrated. I don't want to say that he was overrated, but history may actually say that is the case. I kind of think that maybe Eddie was properly rated, or maybe I just have a different vision of what Eddie Gilbert was. Eddie in the ring was was good. I don't think any of us are going to say Eddie was uh, the next coming of a Jack Briscoe or somebody like that, right? You'd agree. Yes. Yeah. Eddie was a very solid hand in the ring. Eddie's strengths laid in, I believe, my opinion, in his booking philosophies, because he had a real unique booking philosophy, and his promos, and Eddie... If above everything else, Eddie really understood how to get heat. He was so much better as a heel than a babyface. As a babyface, I don't think he really worked well at all unless he was coming off of a, a heel run and just did a switch. But I, I think history may view Eddie, because he is idolized by a large portion of the internet and smart fan community and the smart marks, he may be a little bit overrated, but I, I, that's not a knock on Eddie Gilbert at, in any form because I, I really liked him. I really respected him and I was really proud. You know, I, I was, I did Jim Cornette's podcast five years ago before we ever started breaking kayfabe. And I said something to Jim when I was on there and I said, Jim, I'm really proud of you. And it was an odd thing to say in some ways, you know, because what does that mean? I'm really proud of you. But what, what I meant, you know, I knew both of these guys when they were kids, they were like 17 years old and they were kids. And Jim, I had no idea he was going to get in the wrestling business. And when you think about that, you know, this was the same guy giving me suplexes in the swimming pool and giving me stiff as fuck chops to the chest that he would ever become arguably in the top two or three greatest wrestling managers in the history of the business. So in Eddie's case, I'm really proud. I was really proud that, you know, he was able to carve a niche for himself outside of Memphis and, and to be able to do it successfully. I'm just sad that, you know, his story has him dying at such a young age in Puerto Rico. I think that uh, we should all remember that uh, Eddie was one of us. He was yes. a fan. And so is Jimmy. You know, to be honest with you, he was a fan who was able through uh, whether it was a family connection or whether or not he was just working behind the scenes, you know, and, and he was a guy that 
people, you know, Terry Robert Justice was doing a, uh, an Eddie Gilbert fan club when he was like still in high school and hadn't even started wrestling yet. That's just crazy to think about that. But because everyone knew Eddie was getting into the business, you know, and, uh, you know, you go, I've said this before, you go on YouTube and look up the stuff with Tommy and Eddie Gilbert taking on Buddy and Ken Wayne and like uh, 1979 in Memphis. Yep. So Eddie's like maybe just turned 18. And so is Ken Wayne. And they're both because they had been raised to know this was what they were going to do. And they were already a solid hand, you know? I mean, you know, what was Eddie Satura Sayama? No. But what he was, was a guy that you could put, even at age 18, in a first or second or even a third match on the card. And he wasn't going to embarrass the promotion. You know, 10 years after that, you couldn't say that about every guy that was on the card. You know, there were guys that were legitimately going to embarrass your promotion the higher on the card you had them. Eddie Gilbert was not one of those guys. Okay, now, so you've said you think he's properly rated. I'm going to sort of cheat my way out of this by saying that I think early in his career, and based again on what I just said, that Eddie was underrated. I think later in his career, he was overrated in the sense that I think people still expected Eddie to be what he was before the injuries and all the other things, all the demons that were haunting him began to take their toll on him. So I think his in-ring work was overrated towards the end of his career. Now, that being said, Eddie was an incredibly bright guy to the wrestling business. He really knew how to, like you said, to get heat, to work the crowd. I have to tell you, if you have never seen it, in one of my Observer Yearbook articles uh, in the late part of the uh, the decade of the 80s, I did an article about the top 20 angles of the wrestling business for the decade. And one of the ones that I'd included was when Eddie on Memphis Television, and I believe it might have been a live shot on Memphis Television, did This Is Your Life, Jerry Lawler. Now, Eddie, I believe, always wanted to be Jerry Lawler. He wanted to be the king of Memphis. He wanted that succession line to go from Jackie Fargo to... Jerry Lawler to Eddie Gilbert and have Eddie become the new king of Memphis, okay? The heat that is generated off that segment, uh, have you seen that or have you seen it lately, Barry? I I think I've seen it within the last year, yeah. Okay, because it is one of those things, the old, you know, real personal issues create, uh, you know, know, the Eric Bischoff line controversy, you know, uh, creates cash. And Jared had something similar to that, you know, real issues create real heat or real money, whatever that thing is. And holy shit, based on the stuff that Eddie was saying about Jerry Lawler, I mean, he got, he got fucking personal, but that's what they did in Memphis. And that's how they created interest because, you know, it was a, a territory built around, well, let's be honest, one town. Yeah. They worked other cities in the rotation and stuff like that. But Memphis, of course, was the real key to the promotion. And that particular segment, This Is Your Life, Jerry Lawler, hosted by Eddie Gilbert, and I think Missy was with him for that, too. And, whoo, it's just, you talk about cutting to the bone. Some of the shit that he uh, revealed about Lawler, just an extremely personal level. Uh, but as a wrestling fan, and as especially as a fan who kind of, you know, had an idea of what was going on in the business, oh, my God, it's so much fun to watch as you watch Jerry Lawler just squirm there as, as Eddie's just eviscerating him uh, about some stuff that had happened in his life that maybe the fans weren't particularly familiar with, but Eddie knew about. 
and to create interest in this program for the two of them. Oh man, that's great stuff. Now, Eddie got real banged up towards the end of his, you know, end of his life and his career. He had a lot of injuries. He was doing the Eddie Gilbert and Smoky Mountain. That was not the best of Eddie Eddie Gilbert. And I think, you know, I think. When on Jeff, this, what did that last? About two weeks. Uh, I think it was a little bit longer than that, but it wasn't very long. I know that. But you know, like you could see that Eddie was was going down a bad road, and you know, no matter what his vice was or what his problem or demon was. Uh, it was not taking him to a good place. Let's just say that. But I, uh, on this show, uh, you and I have talked about Eddie and compared him to Bobby Shane, a guy that was a smaller guy who always may have had slightly a smaller man's complex, but he made up for it with his wrestling mind, which was so good and so brilliant. I'll tell you something. I don't mean this as a knock on Eddie. You know, somebody was talking about the other day, oh, one of the greatest angles of all time is the angle with the Russians and Eddie and uh, Baron Cowboy Bill Watts under the American flag. It was a great angle. I'm not trying to poo-poo it. I don't know if it was one of the greatest of all times, but it was a great angle. But one of the things that that made me think about is, if you ever watch an angle with Eddie, whenever Eddie is confronted in the ring, and, and I remember, like, you know, whether it was Bill Watts or whoever, and Eddie gets punched, Eddie had this weird way of bumping. You know what I'm talking about, Bear? Yeah, but I actually like that bump. Okay, so that, see, that yeah. was that's the difference. Uh, yeah. We can have two different viewpoints. I hated the fact that Eddie, <laughs> when he would get punched, would literally jump up in the air yeah. and land flat on his back. And of course, he was protecting himself. I get that. But I just always thought that bump looked so fucking ridiculous. But he fucking knew how to get heat. And God bless him for that. And so uh, so anyway, in answer to Ian's question, I think he was underrated in the early part of his career. And then I think he was maybe overrated in the ring towards the end of his career, because people were still expecting him to do stuff that he had done years before that I don't, quite frankly, Barry, think that he was physically capable of doing anymore. No, well, he had that car accident in of when course, he was up yeah. that first run, right? And I, I want to say it was a broken neck and a broken back, or it was just, you know, the, I, I think, A, he was lucky to be alive, and then even more so, so much more fortunate to be able to resume his professional wrestling career. And, you know, the Eddie that I knew, that's all he cared about was being a professional wrestler. I can tell you that the stuff with Lawler was legit. There was legit heat there. I don't know if there's heat, but I know uh, at one point, Doug Gilbert went for Jerry Lawler and that Eddie carried a grudge for years. I, and I, I'm not, you know, a lot of it took place behind the scenes. Our old buddy, J.D. McKay, who was really close with Eddie, may be able to provide more details. But I, I think your analysis is really good. I, I, I think... If I was booking Eddie as a wrestler, so not as a, you know, I'm not going to critique him as a booker or anything like that. But if I was using him as a wrestler and or manager, I think he actually did a great job with Terry Taylor. And while it was brief, their alliance in the UWF, I thought was spectacular because you had two guys who were kind of chicken shit, sleazy heels in a sense. You know, cocky and arrogant, but yet will do anything. I, I think they could have actually done something with Taylor and Gilbert together. And I remember them coming out to TBS. I think it was during they were going to unify the TV titles between UWF and the NWA. I want to say it was Nikita Koloff at yeah, the time. Yeah, they, they completely fucking buried uh, Terry Taylor. They, to they totally buried him. Because but here, he's, he wasn't Dusty's friend, uh, you know, and all that oh, kind of Dusty shit. Dusty hated Terry Taylor, and I don't think he had much use for Eddie Gilbert, but I know he hated Taylor, and that's that story's legendary. But 
they came out, if I'm correct, they came out to the Duran Duran song, Notorious. And I, I, you know, obviously being a huge Duran Duran mark also, I'm popping for this shit going. Now, this is what professional wrestling is supposed to be. Uh, Of course, as you just said, they buried him and then they were both gone, you know, just maybe a month later or something. I think it was after that that Terry uh, went to the Federation and became the Red Rooster and well, you know. yeah, and it was over at that point. Yeah, we know how that worked. <laughs> I, I will say that I thought Eddie's greatest booking work was done in uh, Alabama yeah. when he uh, he tried to revive. I don't know if it was continent. I think it was continental. And I believe he was named Booker of the Year in the Observer just because he literally out of nothing created, uh, you know, the, the character of I remember he uh, he turned Pez Watley into Willie B. Hurt or something like that. Uh, he had a guy that uh, he did the uh, he called the D.I. He did sort of the Sergeant Slaughter gimmick with him and just uh, with not a he was the territory was not flush with talent. Let's just put it that way. And he made the television product absolutely very interesting. And it was a fun. Uh, he had Paulie working, I think, as sort of an assistant booker there. And they really for a very short period of time. They really had a hot territory. And, you know, quite frankly, uh, since I just mentioned that uh, short period of time, one of the complaints about Eddie as a booker was that he tended to uh, to do a little hot shotting. And, yeah. you know, as a, as a booker, and that's a fair criticism, but he also could do stuff to really set the territory on fire and set up. And he definitely did that in Alabama. And uh, so anyway, that was a, an interesting question that was posed by Ian Totten. And uh, I thought we would discuss it. And by the way, just for the record, folks, if you uh, somebody posts something in our group, you know, a discussion topic or, or or something along those lines, you know, if you disagree with what the person says, you know, have the courage to post it where the uh, the particular poster has put it on on there. Don't personally message him and go, oh, you're a fucking idiot because you do, you know, because you think this way. And, you know, if you disagree with his point of view, tell him. And don't be an asshole about it. Just say, you know what? I completely disagree with your your thought processor. And let me tell you why. And just disagree. And, you know, and, and if the person comes back and you guys can have an intelligent discussion about the issue. You know, one thing, Barry, I went to, I went to uh, f- physical therapy today and I was talking to a Brian Scott, uh, who I mentioned a week or two ago as a new member of the group. And I told him, I said, you know, one of the things that's great about our group is if you sit there and you aren't somebody who's brand new to the group who post six times in one day. Uh, I'm not going to mention any names there, Barry. What? But if you sit there and you start scrolling through and you get to a wrestling topic, and I think, as a matter of fact, I think that Brian had said he posted something. I can't remember what the topic was, but he posted and he said, oh, my God, I must have got like 50 responses to it. You know, just, you know, oh, what do you think about? the? Oh, it was. What do you think about all the cuts in the WWE recently? And he said he got about 50 responses. I said, you know, that's a good way of learning about the wrestling business and how it works. Post a question like that. Uh, you know, who'd you like? Uh, you know, like, did you like Eddie Gilbert better or Jerry Lawler? And as you people post their responses, you start learning things about the wrestling business. Sometimes if you keep your mouth shut and read, you'll learn stuff and you'll say to yourself, holy fuck, I never knew that. Wow, I just learned something new. Imagine that concept, Barry, learning. Well, I'll tell you what, first off, having Byron Scott in our group is one of the bigger no, and Brian, Brian He's Scott, not the same guy, not former NBA champion. Although <laughs> barely, let me just say, you know, and the Lakers out in the first. Yeah. Round. Yeah. No, so see, not see you, LeBron. LeBron. See you, LeBron. <laughs> anyway, I had Poor to LeBron. put that. 
Poor LeBron. Poor Bron. Uh, Bron. Anthony, Dave. You've so you you know this is one. Miami Heat did this at one point. Remember the year Miami Heat went out and got like like every superstar known to man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They bought, but they didn't win that year either, which was you know it's like. So it to me, it you know, L.A. has built this amazing team and they've brought in the, the best players in the NBA and you're out in the first round of Phoenix, which I just I just think is just the greatest thing ever. But uh, I'll never forget Byron Scott Lakers. And also he was part of that Pacers team that used to uh, they used to give the Knicks fix. He was the coach in the NBA for a while, too, wasn't he? And he was he was the Nets coach, actually. Yeah. Uh, he was in the Nets for a while and somewhere else, too. Maybe even Pacers. I forget where it was. But apparently not an easy guy to deal with and not a warm individual. But uh, Byron Scott has got quite the legacy. And the fact that he's in our group, Jeff, that absolutely is true. You just mentioned courage, Jeff, about having the courage to do something. And I got to tell you, you want to show your balls. You want to lay your testicles out for everybody. Subscribe to us on Patreon. Oh, what, do I mean? what, 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 uh, what's that, Barry? I'm sorry. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the Patreon what, episode that's available what, now. Is that what you're saying? What courage is, Jeff? If you look up the word courage in the dictionary. It, it says, says subscribe. <laughs> yes. It's subscribe to the Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry Patreon or Patreon, however you pronounce and it. And it is available at patreon.com slash Bowdrin and Barry, not the little symbol. It's the actual A and D. So uh, I, since Barry has brought it up, I'm completely unannounced. Didn't know you were going there, Barry. Right. I'm going to give some shout outs. I'm going to give some shout outs because as of this recording, we are less than 24 hours in to our Patreon uh, broadcast, our, our first Patreon episode. So I'm going to give shout outs to five people who, according to sources, were the very first five people to subscribe, to lay down the five dollars. Five freaking dollars. I don't want to hear, I can't afford it, man. This is like you can't fucking buy a Slurpee for a couple of days at the old, uh, you know, Wawa or QT or 7-Eleven or whatever. So, exactly. you know, I, I, Jeff, I don't want to, it's not like we're asking for a hundred fucking dollars here. Jeff, I took Zoe yesterday. I took her to Starbucks so she could get is her- she a subscriber? She, <laughs> she should be because I, I spent almost $8 for her specialty coffee yesterday. Okay. $8. And then, and then oh, once a you drink the coffee, though. yeah. And then once, once you drink the coffee, what it's over this, it's you've got content for life here. Memories aplenty. If you yes. will. So yes. here are the names, as we say, a breaking cafe with Bowdrin and Barry. Join me, Barry. Round of applause for these five individuals. First, hey, here's a great one. Chris Salastad. I have never seen that name in our group before, and he was the very first fucker to put his $5 well, down. Well, I like this Chris, guy. <laughs> salute, my friend. That's salute. Say. Thank you very much. Number two, David Jordan. Thank you, David. Thank you, David Number Jordan. Number three, Michael Herrick. I'd never heard of that guy. Michael Herrick. Who is that guy? I don't know. Right. And number four, oh, Barry, it's our old friend, Chris Zauta. Or Zaucha, whatever the fuck his name is. Uh-huh. Uh, bust his balls, but Chris put his money where his mouth is. So round of applause to Chris and the memory of his dad, the great Al. And finally, the fifth person to slap the, the filthy lucre down for breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, the Patreon episode, Andrew Samuels. Thank you, Andrew, for your subscription and your patronage. 
So, folks, these are just the first five. I can promise you, on behalf of Barry and even Sweet Friggin' Lou, if you subscribe to our Patreon channel, we're going to give you a damn shout-out. Today, it's very early in the game. There have been, and by the way, let me just say, in case you're being a smartass, no, there have been more than five, but these were the first five. <laughs> Next week, we're going to mention the rest of the people, or eh, some of the rest of the people that subscribed, okay, and give them the proper shout-out that they deserve. You know who will not be getting a shout-out, Barry? Do you know who? Who? I, I, there's a couple of people. No, I'm going to tell you who. is the okay. people that do not subscribe. No more shout-outs, baby. No more, hey, Bob Smith, I love you, baby. Yeah, yeah. No, no, Bob, until you throw that $5 on the fucking table and say, by God, by the way, John Lee, uh, from where, Barry? From Wales. Wales. John Lee posting, ah, fuck, I just broke my bank account, so I'm going to put six names in there. So thank you, John. But there are others because they put the fucking money down. I've said it before, people. I have a retirement that I have to pay for. My wife's starting to get a little antsy about me not working. Last year, I had fucking cancer. I had an excuse. This year, the excuses are wearing a little thin. Let's just say that. So I need your money. Okay, so anyway, thank you so much for subscribing. I hope you enjoyed the episode, which, by the way, episode one, just to recap, uh, we got the interview with former NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ronnie Hands of Stone Garvin. Uh, we have the three matches. A Hulk Hogan match, good Lord, Barry. A Shawn Michaels match, Barry loves Shawn. And a Road Warriors match that we reviewed. Not the one match review. No, no, it's not two. Three matches that we offer you out of the goodness of our heart. (sighs) Barry. And I think we are are givers, if nothing else. I think, and you just mentioned Michael Herrick, but Michael had a comment today about making a regular character out of overly caffeinated Road Warrior Hawk. Which in this match that we reviewed, he he's currently you know overly caffeinated, which is you think it was caffeine, do you? I don't, uh, but <laughs> but I'm gonna go with that. I don't think it was, but uh, but yeah, we really look. We really are grateful, and we what we've tried to do, you know, essentially this podcast on many levels has been a labor of love for everyone involved, and you know we we didn't want to shove dick pills down your throat. We didn't want to shove, uh, you know, whatever other things that are out there that testicle we, shavers. Oh, wait a minute. Testicle we can't, shavers. We, we can't say that. We can't say that one. All right. But other, whatever other, it is. Other other uh, podcasts may use uh, testicle shavers. Oh, then they're as, then they're great. If they yeah, <laughs> if it's somebody we like, then it's great. Yeah. Are we talking grooming, about like, grooming? Yeah. Keep the boys uh, free of the excess fur. Yeah, but we've avoided all that. We've avoided the pitfalls of. You know, uh, excess uh, fur. That's the name of the of the podcast this week. Excess, the excess fur, fur episode. <laughs> I <laughs> love right it. Now. Yeah. So, but we do, look. We really, all kidding aside, we really do appreciate it. And uh, it, you know, at the end of the day, it whatever you subscribing to Patreon keeps this podcast going. That's plain and simple. And you know, Jeff and I currently have zero plans. And Sweet Lou, we have zero plans to to go anywhere we we're in this for the long haul and we want to continue so let's make it mandatory you're saying we have zero plans now well anything could change tomorrow but as of this recording but i think let's be fair this podcast dropping on a tuesday the 8th of june how about by june the 10th 
everybody listening is subscribed to the Patreon episode. That seems like a fair a fair amount of time. That seems fair. Okay. I just want to make sure. I don't think we're asking too much. No. You, you, wait a minute. You out there driving. Yeah, you're on the interstate. You're heading, I don't know, for work or something like that. You're the one I'm talking to. So you don't think I'm talking to you, but I'm looking right at you right now. Don't don't look at the radio. Look at the friggin' road. Listen to the book. You need to put that $5 down. No excuses. Don't have your uh, triple mocha latte like Zoe had. <laughs> don't have yes. your fucking Red Bull. Don't have your Slurpee, which, by the way, Barry, I had one today from QT. It was absolutely delicious. What, but, is, what is QT? A, a, a quick, uh, what is it, a quick take or something like that. It's a, like a Wawa here in Georgia. Now, do they do they do a, they don't do a Slurpee because it's Slurpee is Seven Eleven. What do they, they call it? I don't know. They call it like an icy or something like that. Gotcha. Or frosty, I don't. Know. Is it the one that's got the bear? That polar bear? Nope, nope, nope. That's no. that's like uh, one of your uh, your gas station uh, type. That is exactly. It's uh, like Circle K or one of those. Yes. Yeah. Now, Barry, it is time for us to take a look. Oh, it's been a hot tick since we've done this. Time for our movie review, Barry. Are you ready to discuss? our fantastic movie that we have. Because I ran across uh, an article about this movie and I said, wow, it's been a while since I've seen this. And this, this, Barry, what a great fucking movie. We were nice enough to have three people. I want to give shout outs to Travis Rains, who? Mark Hurtweck, and a first time reviewer. It is Rachel Clark, uh, better known as uh, my daughter's best friend. And uh, I wanted to get a unique take from her on this issue. We are talking from 1996 from the Wachowskis Barry, it is Bound, starring Gina Gerson and Jennifer Tilly and Joe Pants. Joey Pants, Joe Pantigliano. Barry, tell the folks how great this movie is. Yeah, Joey Pants, who's been around, I, I would say at this stage, he's been around for what, 45 or 50 years in, in film. At least, yeah. Yeah. So I and I so I guess in doing the math on that, he's got to be close to 70 at this point, also. Shit. I never thought about it. So the directors, is this the same people that did uh, The Matrix? Oh, uh, that's a fairly good question. That's that I'm an affirmative. Uh, an affirmative from Lou. There you as go. As I'm checking, Joey Pants, 70, 71 at this point. Damn. And so here's another one. Joey Pants has done a few fan fests, and I've never gone. But I see Joey Pants at the next fan fest, any fan fest, and I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to drive, especially – being that he's 71. So I haven't seen this movie in years. I probably saw it within a year or two of its release date. Uh, I do remember watching it on cable around 1 a.m. and getting extremely aroused that I had to wake up my girlfriend at the time, who later became my wife. Oh, come on, come on. Let's be honest. We know what happened. Yeah, and but I'm going to go with that story that I had to wake her up. <laughs> yeah, it sounds <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, what I remembered really about the film is By the I way, for the audience, just imagine this. Uh, listen very closely, and this is what Barry was doing that night. <laughs> okay, go ahead. That's exactly what it sounded like. <laughs> this this pushed the borders and pushed the limits for what films were doing. And I don't recall there's a uh, a lesbian love scene in this movie. Love scene. There's a there's a lesbian sex scene in this movie that is uh, it's. I think even by today's standards, it would still be hot. But especially you're going back 23 years ago, it was really hot. It was a big deal when this movie came out. Uh, Jennifer Tilly has always, I feel, has always been kind of underrated as a sex symbol. She is a very attractive woman. Certainly, she's a little bit older now. She was married to Sam Simon for years. Sam Simon, that everybody, the late Sam Simon, a lot of people know him from The Simpsons. 
and she is a hell of a poker player, but uh, I've always found her super attractive, just a beautiful woman. And then Gina Gershon is the other one. And, you know, Gina Gershon, to me, very attractive, beautiful face. For some reason, a, a lot of times put out a vibe that I didn't get into. I, I don't know if, you know, she was cold or I just didn't like the vibe. But I got to tell you, in this movie, she's great. Though my favorite Gina Gershon, Jeff, I don't know if you ever saw it, where she was on an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm a few years ago that I just think was one of the great episodes of all time. But getting back to this film, this is a good movie. And I, I've got a review. And I think his review sums up a lot of what I'm thinking as well. So I'll wait because I know you've got a review that you want to read first, Jeff. Well, before I do, let me just say Jennifer Tilly, also known for the Jim Carrey movie Liar Liar, where she is the uh, the soon-to-be-divorced lady who's uh, trying to get money from her husband, who doesn't really care about her kids, and is generally a very crappy human being. But holy shit, does she look good in that dress. I'll just say that. Uh, she looks pretty freaking amazing. And uh, she looks amazing in this, as does Gina Gershon, who the first time I saw Gina Gershon, Barry, do you know what movie that might have been by a certain action say it film was star? It was Cocktail. It, it was not Cocktail. Oh, it was, uh, I don't know what it was then. I'll it say was, Showgirls. No, but that's a good guess. No, we're talking the Steven Seagal movie, Out for Justice, of course, famous. Anybody know who killed Bobby Lupo? Anyone know who killed Bobby Lupo? Yes, uh, she was the uh, the sister, I believe, of, uh, of oh, what the fuck's he got? William Forsythe that, uh, that oh. Seagal was going after in the movie. It was a very small role, but... Um, yeah, she uh, she looked pretty hot there, and she does in this. And uh, you're right, the uh, the scene in question between the two ladies hot is smoking, and uh, just woo, and incredible scene. But here's the thing, no no offense, if you want to see a smoking hot sex scene, fucking dial up the U porn or or uh, go watch some Skinamax uh, back in the day. Uh, or, or Barry, did you you lived in uh, Broward County back then? Do you have the old on TV? Remember that? Sure, I remember yeah, on yeah. TV. You remember, yeah, they used to have the scrambled signal. The scrambled and, signal. You're looking there for a you watch it, maybe pick up a breast. <laughs> exactly. I see Bush. I see Bush. Exactly. I do remember that. And so, uh, <laughs> and then, of course, you got to think about, uh, what do you call it? Hap high. Oh, hap high. But, uh, yeah, good time. But, uh, you know, it's a hot scene between two well-known actresses. And that's something certainly you don't uh, normally see every day. But besides the hot scene is the fact that it's a really good plot to this movie where they are trying to steal money from Joey Pants, who, huge surprise, I believe, uh, plays a mafia guy. Uh, it's a real stretch for him and his career. And they are trying to steal money from him and basically make it look like it was his fault the money's gone. And so that's a, a real interesting storyline. It's it's basically, uh, I, told, uh, I told Rachel, it's like a heist film, you know? And uh, so there's something to be said. So we've got the three reviews, Barry. Let me uh, hold on here and go to the old uh, Breaking Cave Fabe with Bowdrin and Barry uh, email portal. So you have Mark Hurtwicks, right? Okay, so I'm going to do our old friend Travis Rain's John Doe and his review. He says, wow, what a surprisingly great movie that I'd forgotten about. I originally caught this movie late one night on HBO forever ago, and it still holds up. This was the Wachowski's directorial, directorial that's a big word for Travis, uh, debut. And you can see early on a lot of the lighting and clever camera work that has become a staple of their subsequent films. The story has everything. Chicanery. Good use of the word chicanery, Bear. Backstabbing, theft, mobsters, Joe Pantliano, a steamy lesbian sex scene, and much more. 
All right there, Barry. We could end the review, and that's enough to make yep. uh, someone want to go out and watch it. By the way, uh, I did mention uh, this movie is on your, uh, your what do you call your uh, Amazon Prime right now. So uh, please avail yourself of the opportunity. Uh, Travis continues. I'll try not to say too much because I think people should watch this film themselves. I will say the use of the white paint near the end provided a great contrast to the darkness of the movie. And then I look at Travis pointing out contrast as if he's taking some sort of film as literature course. Very impressive, Travis, and proud of you for that. 4.5 out of 5 stars. If this was a lawn, it would be the kind of lawn Barry dreams about shitting on. <laughs> I like the last line. There you go. Yes, there you go. So why don't you take uh, Mr. Hurtwick's review now, Barry? I'm going to take Mr. Hurtwick. I'm going to get him in a headlock, and we're going to squeeze out this review. So let me start with the positives. Not only was Bound a great heist movie and a solid thriller, but the beginning is filled with lots of erotic elements and includes some of the hottest girl-on-girl scenes that you can ever find outside of late-night Cinemax. Hold on one second, Barry. I don't mean to interrupt the review. Let me just say real quickly, our old friend Benji Fido, yeah, when you watch a Bound, if you choose to, with the uh, the beloved uh, a spousal unit, you don't want Antonio in the room when this uh, movie begins because uh, you're going to have to explain and answer a lot of questions. Please, Barry, continue. Absolutely. And uh, it's uh, Gina Gershon and especially Jennifer Tilly are both absolute fire in this movie. And I would probably it's smoke show. I would probably have to give it five cranks on the Javorski rating scale. A lot of masturbation on this episode. A lot of the masturbation episode. There you go. I also enjoyed seeing a young Christopher Maloney prior to achieving fame as detective Elliot Stabler in Law and Order SVU as the son of the mobster, Gino Marzoni. I don't want to give away any spoilers, so I won't go into too much detail regarding the plot. Both the cast and the acting were solid, and the script and storyline was decent enough, although not spectacular. At times, it was a little paint-by-the-numbers, and I kept waiting for some kind of twist ending that never really came. But overall, it was a good little film, and certainly an entertaining watch. Thank you, Mark Hurtwick. Uh, I don't know if the ending he was hoping for uh, came, but some other oh. things. See what I did there? So, I you know. see, yeah. So next we go to a friend of the show, Rachel Clark. First of all, as I pointed out, Barry, uh, Rachel initially saying, what the fuck am I watching, was the first text I got from her. What kind of softcore porn are you kidding me to watch here? And I said, no, no, stay with it. Stay with it. It's a good heist film. So then when the movie is finished, she said, okay, I legitimately thought I was watching the beginning of a softcore porn for the first 20 minutes of the movie. Once the plot actually started to make sense, it wasn't terrible. The acting was kind of awful, but it was wrapped up nicely and was fun to watch. Apparently, Rachel disagreeing with Mark because she thinks the whole thing was wrapped up nicely. So, uh, you know, now what's going to happen is uh, Rachel is going to email or, or, or Facebook message Mark and say, what the fuck were you watching? Because apparently that's what people in our group do. You know, they, they privately message people. Oh, I'm sorry. We already mentioned that, Bear. So, Bound, Amazon Prime, well worth your time. Hell, if you're going to watch the thing, just watch the first 20 fucking minutes. Because <laughs> But it's a, it's a good, twisty heist film uh, that I think you'll enjoy. Yeah, matter of fact, Benji, after the first half hour, you can have Antonio come back in the room. So, now, Barry, it is time for our match of the week. Are you ready, my man? I am 100% ready for this one. So, Barry, we are going to, I want to say, is this the very first time we have reviewed a match from Smoky Mountain Wrestling? 
No, we did. We reviewed another match. Shit, because we talked about the amazing promo. I think it was a loser leave town match with the heavenly bodies. Okay. Remember right. that so, one? Well, yeah. this we, we can't have done a lot. Uh, no. Smoky Mountain fondly remembered. Uh, it, it was a great old school Southern promotion. And so today we're going to April 2nd, 1993, the Bluegrass Brawl. Now, let me just point out, I'm going to post a link from the YouTube, what you have to do is you have to go an hour and 24 minutes into the clip. Unless you want to watch the whole damn thing. If you want to, that's fine. But the match in question starts at the one hour, 24 minute mark. There's about 10 minutes of promos. Great promos, by the way. Uh, as we are looking at the main event, we're talking the Heavenly Bodies with Bobby Eaton. Says, oh, by the way, Stan Lane and uh, Tom Pritchard, along with beautiful Bobby Eaton. Never a bad time to watch a Bobby Eaton match. Versus Robert Fuller. Jimmy Golden and the Dutchman, Dutch Mantel, and they are taking on the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky and Robert, and Double A, the Enforcer, Arn Anderson. Barry, tell us what you thought of this match. Yeah, before I do, Jeff, what was the setup for this match? What what was it that you had three teams? And and I got to tell you, the the two heel teams were all over each other. So, what was the setup for this match? Do you recall? That's a perfectly intelligent question that I don't know the answer to. I know that there was some kind of jealousy with Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden about them not getting title shots, something go. along those lines. I'm sure some know-it-all in the group will post, I can't fucking believe you forgot the uh, the angle where this happened or that happened. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, did Dave Lamont join us? I'm hearing ice. So um, <laughs> that's, a, so that's a very we, inside joke. We should, yeah, we should also say that is a, that's about as inside as you can get. <laughs> We should save this for the Patreon. This is what it sounds like when Ozzy gets fed dinner. <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a pretty small amount of dinner for poor Oz. Well, Oz gets, uh, he gets two cups of dry food and a half a can of wet food. Okay. So I figured if I didn't feed him now, he's going to sit and stare at me for the next hour, which he's been doing. So I had to do it. And that, that Dave Lamont reference really was deeply inside. But <laughs> I, I like this match. And I, I think what I liked best about this match were the interviews that took place beforehand. I did join. I want to say it was, what, 123 minutes, I think is what you said, an hour and 23 minutes. 24. And 24. So I jumped in. And I think the first 10 minutes are probably interviews. They're all fantastic. And the one thing I got, you can watch professional wrestling now. And, and I, I'll be the first to admit my, my wrestling uh, viewing habits have decreased probably dramatically since I moved. I still watch, I try to watch SmackDown on Friday nights and I'll still watch a pay-per-view here and there, whatever they're called, but I don't watch raw. I don't watch AEW, not for any other reason that I just don't have cable, but what I do remember and what I see on SmackDown with the interviews are how rehearsed these interviews are. And there's no air of these interviews being genuine. There's nothing about them that screams when somebody's out there cutting a promo on somebody else that it's legit. It all comes across to me as manufactured beyond belief. And then you watch these interviews, especially Arn Anderson's interview, which I thought was fantastic. And you just know none of this has been scripted it, and it all has an air of believability to it. That's the beauty of it. So, you know, we've been force fed this homogenized product over the last couple of decades that everything is so cut and dry and everything is so sanitized. And then you watch these interviews and Robert Fuller was another one. Robert Fuller is fucking lifting weights during the interview and he's got this big smile on his face 
And uh, he just cuts this fantastic promo. I just, I, I, for the life of me, Cornette obviously always does a great promo, so I won't even go there. But to me, Arn and Robert Fuller really stood out. Now, getting on to the match, Jeff, the match is a lot of fun. This is what you want to see when you watch an old territory. And that's the cool thing about this. Look, Smoky Mountain, for all intents and purposes, I think a lot of people consider it to be the last territory out there. And you could even debate that because. You know, I, I think for a lot of us, the territories died in the 80s, but Smoky Mountain was as close as you were ever going to get. And it was guys out there busting their ass, putting forth everything that they had and really, truly entertaining the fans and, and understanding more importantly than anything else, understanding what that guy in the second row that paid eight dollars for his seat, what he wants to see. You know, it isn't like you're trying to, uh, you know, the WWE puts on a product for the world, you know, and I, I get that. I understand that. But, you know, somebody watching in Plymouth meeting Pennsylvania may not have the same reaction to somebody watching in Dubai. But Smoky Mountain was geared towards everybody within that region. And they knew how to deliver the goods. And this match is a clear indication of that. And this match goes, what, 20, 25 minutes? It's bedlam. It's all over. And I like the finish a lot, and I'm not going to spoil it, but the finish to me kind of caught me off guard, and it was, a, uh, it was an unexpected finish. I think that's probably the best way to put it. I think the finish was going to lead to another match, obviously, but I was just really surprised at it. But I would say if you've never seen Smoky Mountain, this is a great introduction for that product. I would, you know, that, would, that would be my, my clear definition on that one, Jeff. I don't know if this was their first super big show, but it was one of the first ones I know. And it's interesting because, and this tells you all you need to know about the, uh, the product that Smoky Mountain was putting out was that their big event here, the bluegrass brawl, they, they have it in Pikeville, Kentucky. Now, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that Pikeville is not a metropolitan area like a Chicago or a Charlotte or Atlanta or something like that. It's a relatively small town. The building is packed. The crowd very heated. The brawl is, it's everything you could ever want in a quote-unquote Southern-style brawl. This is, you know, nine guys in the ring and outside the ring just beating the living shit out of one another. Tom Pritchard hits an absolute gusher, and it just bleeding like the proverbial stuck pig. Who else got color? I think they said Ricky Moore. Stan Lane got, did, too. Stan Lane did, yeah, you know. And there's a good post-match interview in the heels dressing room i'm just gonna leave it at that without saying who won it but yeah no this was lots of fun and other than saying this is what you want in an old school southern brawl uh, how much more praise can i get you know now i'll say this is this like uh you know uh masawa versus kawada no it's a completely different match but that's what makes wrestling great is they're doing completely different shit in different promotions but you know some ways of, of presenting the product are different. And this way was the way they presented it to their audience and greater metropolitan Pikeville. And it was a lot of fun. And I cannot imagine anyone in that audience in Pikeville that night leaving the arena and going, I feel like I got ripped off. They fucking ripped me off. No, they spent, Barry said $8. So if they spent $8, which is a little bit more than $5 that's available for a Patreon purchase. But anyway, Barry... Um, that's getting to be a little overkill there. I can't imagine anyone leaving the arena and saying, I didn't get my money's worth. 
No, and it's, uh, it, you know, it, I've never been to Pikeville. I, I don't know if I'll ever get to Pikeville at this stage of my life. Pikeville misses you, Barry. They, right? That's my new home. That's, I've scrapped Florida and I'm moving to Pikeville. Hey, who knows? It could be beautiful. And if they have streams, I could go fishing, but I do need to be near a beach. But you're right, Jeff. Here's where I would even take it to the next level. I bet that people that were at that event were still talking about that match days, weeks, or months later. I have a feeling it made that kind of an impression on them. And yeah, it's, I, we'll never see that again. So let me ask you a question, too. We, we discussed Eddie Gilbert at great lengths earlier. Dr. Tom Pritchard, give me your view on Dr. Tom. Oh, um, I always felt uh, Tom Pritchard, very solid in the ring. Perfectly situated here as a member of a tag team. And, and I will say a very good tag team. I think Tom Pritchard was never a guy. I remember Tom Pritchard, I want to say, in the early part of the 80s, Barry. They put him out in Los Angeles as the territory was starting That's to right. crumble. Yep. And he was like their headline guy. And uh, whether he was uh, not ready to carry a promotion on his back or whether it was like a, a what's the word, a fait accompli? Ooh, Latin there, Barry. Huh? Wow. Uh, that the promotion was just going to go in, uh, in the toilet. He did not save the promotion. I had never looked at Tom Pritchard as a guy that you could say, yeah, yeah, that's your focal point of your promotion. Now we, we talked about the Alabama promotion that Eddie booked, and Dr. Tom Pritchard was one of their, uh, if he wasn't the headliners, he was certainly one of them, uh, because, of course, he had the great feud uh, with uh, the Dirty White Boy, that horrible angle. Uh, uh, I need to talk to Tom. I need to talk to Tom. I need to talk to Tom. <laughs> yeah. I remember how much you fucking hated that angle. I fucking hated uh, <laughs> But... The one thing that drove me crazy about Tom Pritchard, everybody has a wrestling hero, right? So everybody, for good or bad, is influenced by their wrestling hero in some way, whether it's their wrestling styles, their promos or interviews. And obviously, if you've ever listened to a Dr. Tom Pritchard interview, his wrestling hero was Roddy Piper because he talks in the exact same staccato as uh, Roddy Piper, he does the bit with his hair on every single fucking interview, and it made me crazy. And what makes it worse is you had Tom Pritchard doing Roddy Piper, and I'll never forget this, and I'm going to fucking put it out there. Fucking Flaherty used to try to do a Piper interview, and he sounded like instead of Piper, he was doing bad Tom Pritchard. <laughs> That's right. I put it out there, Flaherty. You know, oh, yeah, 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 I'm Roddy Piper, yeah. I'm Roddy Piper. Okay, Dave, okay. So, but that's what I always thought about Tom Pritchard was that he was doing kind of a bad Roddy Piper impression when he would do his promos. Yeah, and so, and I think this is, an, and I'll take this a step further. In the ring, the Tom Pritchard was a guy that I think would have been mid-card, prelims. He wasn't going to be a main event guy, but... And again, the, as we mentioned, I mean, interrupt you, as we said earlier in this uh, episode... He was a guy that was never going to embarrass your promotion. No. You know, if you put him yeah. second, third, even fourth, Matt, you know, semi-main. Never, but is he a guy that could headline the promotion if it was smaller than, you know, like a like a bigger promotion? He's never going to go to uh, Crockett. He's never going to go up to the Federation and be the headline act. No, and I, what, he was in the Federation as part of it with Chris Candido, right? Belladonna's? Yes. Or something to that effect. I actually think him doing his Roddy Piper actually hurt his career. And he does a lot of, there's a lot of Jimmy Garvin there also when you, especially during this interview that it, that he doesn't even talk, but he fluffs up his hair like Jimmy Garvin did 
and probably does that five times in this interview, maybe even more. And it just comes off like, yeah, I've seen this before and I've seen somebody else doing that. And I don't know. I, I think there's something about it that just doesn't I don't just I don't jive with. It just doesn't work for me. But I, I think, yeah. Using the word I, jive, Barry. You, you're well, a yeah, I was going to break. I'm saying I was going to save it for the Patreon when I was going <laughs> to do my rendition of Jive Soul Bro, uh, the, the old slick song. But uh, yeah, but you know, that that could still happen. But I just, Dr. Tom, I, he's another one that is, I think, the smart marks. The smarks have embraced and they he's put on a pedestal. And I just don't always see it, you know, and obviously, look, he was a trainer for years and in the WWE. So he, he must must have done something right, you know, if to be a trainer to train all these guys. But for whatever reason, I just I never connected with him. I, you know, it sucks, but it just yeah, I never. No, I, I completely understand and get you a very really quickly before we get to this week in CWF history. Yes. Barry, do you know what time it is? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at my clock right now, Jeff. Uh, no, it's not that time. It's time it's for me to surprise Mr. Rose. Uh-oh. Yes, I, I know you've been anxiously awaiting Florida man or not. Just one story, Barry, for you to figure out all by your lonesome, because I saw this one and I said, oh, we, we got to share this with the uh, the listening audience. Are you ready, Barry? I'm never ready for these stories, but I'm as ready as I'll ever be, Jeff. So bring it up. After on. the plane reached its cruising altitude, Michael Hawk got out of the pilot seat, disrobed, and began watching pornographic material on a laptop computer in the cockpit, prosecutors say. Tired Southwest Airlines pilot was sentenced to probation Friday after pleading guilty to exposing his genitalia <laughs> to a female first officer and watching pornography on a laptop during a flight. Barry, Florida man or not? <sighs> tough one here. I'm going to say, yeah, this is a Florida man. Technically speaking, you're right. All because right. it was a flight from your beloved Philadelphia to Florida. Oh, there you, go. Yeah, two, there you go. Two, two oh. great states. Michael Hawk, 60. He's 60 years old and still slapping wait, 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 it. Wait, slapping wait, it at 39,000 feet. You there. just say his name is Mike Hawk. No, it's Michael Hawk, but you were close. You're Mike Hawk. Mike Hawk, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> You're making this one up. Come on. I, I can see the link. It's hey, it's uh, Philadelphia proud there, Barry. You, Chominsky, <laughs> and Jamie Ward are going, woohoo, representing. Uh, apologized and expressed remorse for his actions before U.S. Magistrate Judge Mark Colson sentenced him to one year of unsupervised probation. In other words, don't fuck up for a year and a hefty $5,000 fine. A quote, <laughs> it started as a consensual prank between me and the other pilot. I never imagined it would turn into this in a thousand years. Oh, Barry, Philadelphia representing philly representing we took a lot of shit over the last couple of weeks with the dumping of the popcorn on russell uh, westbrook which you know i that i have to say that isn't right but i and i agree with that but philly gets beat up a lot but a lot of it is justified <laughs> why we get beat up i won't get over the fact that this guy's name is mike cock and uh, that just, that, that's unbelievable. We really are 13 years old here, aren't we? I really am 13 years old. I, I'm going to have to research this story and put this one in the archive because that's unbelievable. But 
Yeah, Philly or Florida. Philly, I believe now it is time for you to discuss <laughs> this date, June 8th in CWF history. Barry, you told me this was a big date for uh, CWF. This is an absolutely big date because I believe, well, I should say this is going to be an opinion. The second greatest angle I ever saw live, at least from an impression, leaving an impression on me, occurred on this date. In 1977, I will say the first I ever saw was Terry Funk winning the NWA World's Heavyweight title from Jack Briscoe on Miami Beach, which took place in December of 1975. And that that was a big deal. I mean, you know, world titles didn't change hands frequently. It was once every couple of years. And if your city got a world title change, I don't know what the odds are. I mean, we I need to get Alan Barry on the phone to figure out what the odds are on this one because that didn't happen, but this was a big angle. But I'm going to start off with some other matches and lead up to this big one, Jeff, and kind of wrap this up. But let's talk about a match that occurred in 1973 at Fort Lauderdale at the National Guard Armory. Main event, our old friend, the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, defending the Southern heavyweight title against Dirty Dick Slater. And that that had to be. First off, that building was great for wrestling. If you want to talk old and you've been in that building old sure. territory wrestling i mean no air conditioning small had a smell to it that's exactly what wrestling was to us in the 1970s but slater and fuller at that stage that had to be an incredible match and we've mentioned slater uh, one of those guys that literally the first day he walked in the ring was just a friggin' natural you know what <laughs> and it, yeah that, that's a very rare i'm not poo-pooing ron who had been in the business for like three years at this point, but Slater was awesome from day one. He was, and I, if anything, Slater regressed in his career. You know, the old saying, a lot, what a lot of wrestlers said about Dick at that time was, Dick Slater was probably one of the greatest natural professional wrestlers in the history of the business until he decided he wanted to become Terry Funk. And if you watch it, Dick Slater, which is probably 78 on, he did try to become Terry Funk. Prior to that, he was Dick Slater. And if you go back and look at his matches from, say, 1974, he's unbelievable. And he'd only been in the business for two years. And he was already main eventing. He was that good. Dick Slater, he'll never get his due, but he was that good back in the day. That same night, uh, across the state in Tallahassee, CWF used to run two cards on Friday, Fort Lauderdale and Tallahassee. You had Buddy Colt versus Paul Jones for the Florida title. And I've said this numerous times, the triad here of Paul Jones, Buddy Colt, and Jack Briscoe, between the three of them, they wrestled each other nightly for about a year. And it could have been any combination of those three. And it didn't matter who it was, because with any combination of those three, you were having this these hellacious matches. So, you know, I, I will tell you early on when we started doing the fan fests, I wanted to bring uh, Buddy Colt and Paul Jones and have them as headliners discussing that feud. And unfortunately, I couldn't make it happen, but they were just incredible. A couple of years earlier on this date, uh, 1970 in Orlando, the Missouri Mauler defeated Jack Briscoe for the Florida title. And this match was billed as Dale Lewis being barred from the building. Of course, that shouldn't be any sort of an issue because he was working 120 miles away in Arcadia that same night against Big Jim Wilson. And Big Jim Wilson, the same Jim Wilson that everybody remembers from 2020. Oh, my. Um, 
Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Uh, moving on, 1974 in Jacksonville. You had Eddie and Mike Graham teaming up with the Dream. Dusty Rhodes, baby. The American Million Dollar Smile. Million Dollar Smile facing that semi-professional wino from Chicago, Gary Hot. Bobby Duncan. And it was Bobby Duncan, but it seemed like Dustin always called him Duncan. And uh, the Korean from Korea, Pak Song. So this is taking place within less than a month of Dusty's big face turn. Still, oh. Johnny was excited. Reaction. No question about it. Big reaction there. You know, th this, was, this was all over. This is arguably one of the biggest drawing programs in the history of promotion. And that was Dusty turning babyface and feuding with Gary Hart and his army. A really, really big deal. 1976 in Tampa, Bob Orton Jr., this was a Florida title versus U.S. junior title. Now, we had discussed last week where they had a one-hour draw where they wrestled each other in Tampa. So Tampa, Eddie Graham being ever the good promoter, we're going to do a two-hour time limit on this one. And uh, Mike Graham actually drops the, the, the U.S. junior title. Bob Orton Jr. wins the title. Now a double champion in the state of Florida. This match also has uh, a Southern. Yeah, it's pretty title. surprising that, uh, that that Bob Orton Jr. and Michael Graham uh, are the headliners. Barry, what year was this? So they weren't the headliners, but and I'll and I'll tell you. But this was 1976. But to that, Mike Graham was never a true headliner in the state of Florida, and we've discussed this. But well, that's what the story is that, that he never drew money. I'm sorry, I brought that whole nasty. Thank topic. you, exactly. And whenever somebody says that, I you know he was pushed down our throats. It's that isn't the truth. The guy didn't win the Florida title until he'd been in the business for 10 years. And he was never pushed as a main event single star. He was always part of a tag team or working underneath. In any case, Orton Jr. wins both. The main event that night was a lights out match. King Curtis facing the Missouri Mauler right underneath that match. Southern title, no time limit. DQ rule has been waived. The Assassin versus Dusty Rhodes. And then the Florida tag titles consisting of Bob Orton Sr. and Bob Roop going to a no contest with Jack and Jerry Briscoe. Titles now held up because of this. So big deal. A couple of other matches to pull out here. Two cards taking place in 1980. First, Fort Myers, which was an afternoon show. And then moving to Orlando, the same match took place. It was a lumberjack match with Mr. Florida, the aforementioned Paul Jones, facing the Super Destroyer. So same match. I don't have the result of Fort Myers and Orlando. Mr. Florida did win. I would assume he probably won in Fort Myers. But th that's, you know, in my opinion, that's fine because the amount of fans making both shows, uh, I doubt anybody did that. Uh, certainly given in this day and age, I absolutely would have fucking done that. But I don't think back then anybody ever did that. One more match to point out before I get into the the main event, the, the main course, the entree of this of this event, uh, of this the penultimate, if you will, the penultimate. Jeff, how is this for? what arguably could have been one of the worst matches ever known to man. I was here for this. I do not remember this match. 1983 Miami beach. Good chance. You could have been there, Jeff billed as battle of the giants, big, nasty Angelo Mosca. Oh. Right. 
enough said, but look who he faced. I walk and I talk and I do exactly what I want. Okay, that's my... Uh, yeah, and I was never an Angelo Mosca fan. No, I respect all. all he did, but I was never... I saw him. I was never a fan, but quite frankly, this was Luthez compared to who we worked with that night, Big Daddy. Oh, wow. Yes, that... Uh, Ooh, good thing they didn't film that match. Yeah. <laughs> that could have been and pretty bad. So, so uh, okay, is, is that it? That Well, except for the big the big one coming up. So okay. do you want to? No, no, I have two questions, but I'll wait yes. till you're finished. Okay. So the big one coming up, and this is the one that I alluded to at the very beginning. The took, Ethiopian of the uh, of the segment, if you will. The big one about to, about to be coming out. This is, so let's just imagine this card is a lawn. It's a virgin lawn. Yes. And I just had Ethiopian. 1970. Joe Christie, that's for you. Go ahead. Has Joe Christie subscribed to Patreon? I don't know. But if he hasn't, Joe Christie, why have you not subscribed? I'm calling you out, mf -er. Gotcha. 1977 Miami Beach. Let me read you a couple other matches on the card. Tony Marino, who we just talked about, working with Cowboy Bob Ellis. And that's an interesting matchup. And I, I'll point out, this was the time that Johnny Valentine was booking Florida. And at this stage, he was starting to bring in a lot of his, his old cronies that he had worked with. Tony Marino, Cowboy Bob Ellis, both were. Angelo Poffo was coming in the territory. He was an old crony. There were a lot. But the main event that night, Jeff, Ivan Kolos, Ernie Ladd, and Dusty Rhodes. Oh, was that the big event? The, the that was one? it. Yeah, and okay. let me tell you, as a as a 13-year-old kid, it was, it, I get goosebumps even talking about it. And it's still, it is, uh, it's in my memory. You know, I can't tell you what kind of pasta I had for dinner last night, but I can tell you. It was good even though I bet. It was that never-ending pasta bowl, Jeff, exactly. that everybody looks for which at my age it's difficult you know to eat that much pasta but uh i was trying so, so you know sometime at your age the linguine a little limp but yeah well you, know that. <laughs> you do digress you digress to a different level actually but yes you're <laughs> right <laughs> but uh this was uh this was absolutely unbelievable unbelievable so uh, Ernie Ladd, Dusty Rhodes, the mega powers, the superpowers, I believe they were called at the time, and uh, working with Koloff and Wolf, and this led to Ernie Ladd turning heel on Dusty Rhodes. So the beauty of this is that they had been building this up on TV for weeks, and I, I know I've discussed this. Dusty Rhodes would come out. It would be Dusty and Ernie at the desk with Gordon Soley. And Ernie would talk, and then Dusty would cut Ernie off, and Ernie would get a look on his face like he wanted to kill Dusty, and then Dusty would continue to talk about, about the fans and how he's dedicated and all this other bullshit, and Ernie would sit there with these looks on his face, and we all knew, even at 13, I knew where this was going. The only person who apparently didn't know was Dusty you know, according to what you were seeing on television. So this went on literally three or four weeks. And I think that was part of the beauty about it. And we all knew the turn was coming, but nobody expected the turn was going to take place in Miami. And that was the fucking swerve and the genius of it, because almost all the angles that took place off of television, if they took place in an arena, always took place within driving distance of Tampa whether it was Tampa, St. Pete, 
maybe Lakeland, maybe even Sarasota, but it was almost always Tampa and St. Pete. And that's because they didn't have to lug the camera equipment far, which made a lot of sense. So none of us thought that uh, the turn would ever take place in our city, even though we knew it was coming. Well, go back to this. And then lo and behold, we see that cameras are in the building. Still doesn't register that this is going to happen. So in any case, the match progresses. Dusty gets beat up. I think he's running to the ring post. He's outside the ring. And Ernie Ladd goes to tag Dusty numerous times, and Dusty's not there. So at some point, Dusty makes his way up to the ring apron. He's covered in blood. Ernie Ladd walks over. He's got his hands on his hips. He's gesturing at Dusty. He puts his hand out. Dusty shakes his hand or tags his hand to come in the ring. And Ernie takes Dusty and flips him in the ring and starts to put the boots to him. And the place, I'm telling you, went fucking nuts. This is 1977. Dusty at the height of his popularity. And the place is going nuts. So he's he's putting the boots to him. Ernie is making gestures. In one hand, he puts it out like a piece of paper. In the other hand, he's doing a writing motion, signaling that Dusty was out signing autographs, which is great. You know, Dusty cares. That was Ernie's whole shtick. Dusty cares about the fans and signing autographs when he should be taking care of business. The w- What happened next was even more shocking. There was a clean pinfall. Dusty was covered one, two, three, and was pinned. That's unbelievable. We never, I don't think I had ever seen Dusty ever get pinned before that. So that was incredible. Dusty gets pinned. The heels wind up leaving the ring. Ernie stays in the ring puts the boots, beating the shit out of Dusty, making that autograph thing again, and the building started to go nuts. All of a sudden, fans are trying to charge the ring. Shit is raining down from the sky. There's all kinds of stuff being thrown into the ring, and people are trying to get in the ring. And my father says to me, he goes, there's going to be a riot. We really need to get out of here. This is serious. And I had only once had I almost ever experienced anything like that. And let me just quickly digress for a second. 1976, they were doing some cards in uh, in Miami at the Highlight Fronton. And Bob Orton Sr. came out one night and there was no cops, anybody. And he walked out and there was probably 30 or 40 fans And they started to really give him a hard time about him and his son. And they were calling his son a bunch of names, a bunch of derogatory names. So somebody picked up a bottle and threw it. Orton stopped. Orton put his bag on the ground. So you're saying it was a bottle, a glass bottle that was thrown. It was not a cup of popcorn. No, it was a glass Uh bottle. Orton then put his bag down, reached in, pulled out a gun, fired it in the air. Holy shit. In the building? No, it was outside, but this was right outside. And my father then said, we got to get out of here. May have even used profanity. I don't know. And then the entire car ride home was, we can never speak about this with your mother. You know? (laughs) Yeah, because and he basically wow. said, if your mom hears that a wrestler fired a gun, we may not be able to go back to wrestling. Let's just keep this between us. 
And God bless her to her dying day. I never told her what happened that night. So getting back to that night, I knew that my dad was so, serious. So wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, yes. I, I feel at this point I must interject. Sure. Yeah. Your your mom, God rest your soul, is laying there. Uh, <laughs> you're saying yeah. your your sorrowful goodbyes. And by the way, mom, um, one night dad and I were at wrestling, and <laughs> and that's when you choose to tell her. All right, that that's was I that was in right, very poor taste. I apologize. Go no, ahead. No, no, it's fine. At that point, she was uh, almost hallucinating as well. And she was seeing people in a window that had been dead for 40 years. So I probably could have cleared my conscience at that point, but I opted not to. But yeah, it was. Uh, and again, I, I I was 12 when that happened. And, uh, you know, when your father says, never tell your mom or you can't go see wrestling. It was like, yeah, I'll never oh, yeah. say yeah, yeah, yeah. That's easy for me, dad. No problem. Easy. easy. So, so getting back to this one. So I knew when my dad a year later was saying that there's going to be a riot that I need to. I needed to pay attention to him. And I was scared. I mean, you, there were chairs. There were those old wooden chairs flying through the air at this point because fans were going to get it lad. And we knew when you go to Miami Beach Wrestling back in the 70s and 80s and Howard Baum, Pete Letterberg, anybody else that was there can tell you, you got to know the cops as well. And we knew one of the cops extremely well. Harold Weiner was his name. And he actually escorted us. He took us. So you three guys knew the cops? Yeah. Who, who knew that, that Howard Baum uh, was on a buddy-buddy basis with the cops? I don't know if Howard knew this specific. Yeah, a bit, a bit of Jeff, a narc there, if you will. Anyway, yeah, Jeff Gardner knew this cop because we discussed this in later years, Abuda Dean. I don't know if Howard did, but uh, Detective Weiner. It makes her a better story. <laughs> it does, absolutely. And, uh, and actually, if I remember correctly, as Howard was there, he was saying, you know, I'm starting Hardway Art this week. <laughs> That was 1977. So 44 years have passed. Wow, that's a very inside joke, too. But I popped for that one. Go ahead. There you go. But, yeah, so he took us through the back and brought us out and said, you guys definitely want to get out of here. I found out later from Bruce Owens that a a Bruce Owens, who was also there that night, that a full-scale riot did not take place, but it was literally this close to happening. And it was a big deal. It was something that was talked about probably for months on end after it occurred. Okay, so I have uh, two questions for you. For the first question, as you mentioned, uh, the card in 1980 in Fort Myers, uh, as our resident CWF archivist, because you hate the word historian, when was the last time CWF uh, was running, regularly speaking, Fort Myers? So on a regular basis, which would have been, so every Tuesday night, the big card would take place in Tampa, and then has been discussed on our podcast and also the Studcast and Ron Fuller's uh, a podcast that a lot of people were relegated to working Fort Myers, which drew about 500 or 600 paydays were smaller. The building was tiny, a really unique facility. Uh, they stopped, I want to say it was September of 76. I want to say it was summer into fall of 76. And the reason being was they decided they were going to start running a new venue. The new venue did not exist. They were going to run this new venue. The plans for this venue were scrapped. And then they built the Lee County Civic Center, which was the other big, uh, it's a big state-of-the-art facility in Fort Myers. And they started that probably a year later at some point in 77. So Fort Myers had no wrestling for uh, almost a year 
is what my guess is. With that, it never became a weekly town again. It then became a monthly town. Uh, and sometimes not even, sometimes even longer than that. But up until late, you know, maybe September of 76, it had been a weekly town every Tuesday night. And as uh, Ron Fuller has said on his own show, uh, Fort Myers was the uh, town that he really began to cut his teeth. Uh, you know, that's where they had the program with he and, and Ron Garvin. Uh, and they really uh, started learning their way. I, Ron had been part of the wrestling business for a few years before that, but that's when uh, that's when Ron Fuller began to really uh, kind of get his feel for uh, for being a main eventer and uh, doing what it takes to uh, to hold that status, uh, even it is even if it is in one of the smaller towns. So, second question: taking out of the equation the Miami Beach card that uh, you mentioned, because you were actually there. Of all the other cards you mentioned, no matter what year, if you had a chance to go back in time, which card are you going to? So, I, I would go probably to that 76 card that's uh that's all bob orton jr capture both titles the card is stocked i mean if you look you've got anybody and their mother on this card but there were some great programs the assassin and dusty Rhodes to me that was great king curtis is a baby face was you had to see it to believe it the briscoe brothers versus rupin orton senior uh, 76 is my second favorite year ever for CWF, 1975 being my most favorite. So I would have opted for the 76 card. So Barry, as we begin to do the old go home, uh, we want to uh, thank everyone for listening. We want to uh, thank uh, those of you, uh, the three of you that reviewed Bound with uh, Gina Gershon, Jennifer Tilly, and Joe Pantliano. Oh, Barry, that first 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So thank you to Rachel Clark, Travis Range, and Mark Hertwick for their kind reviews. Uh, Barry, are you about ready for the old? Oh, wait a minute. Before we go, I just remembered one thing, Barry. Wanted to give the folks a little good news on the old Booker front. Barry, I know you know this, but uh, hasn't gone out necessarily to all the people in the group. I, uh, as of this week, I had my follow-up with my oncologist. Uh, I had a CAT scan the week before. Uh, where they uh, look inside to see what's going on inside the booker. And uh, he uh, mentioned, uh, oh, do you have some Ethiopian food? No, not really. Uh, but what he did say was that my lymph nodes have shrunk even more than they were, I believe, in December when I had my last CAT scan. And uh, he said the scarring that had appeared uh, when he did the CAT scan in December, no longer there. He said... I know it's only been nine months, but as far as he was concerned, I am all clear. Of course, Barry, they say you should wait a good solid two years uh, before you declare yourself as cured. But as I posted in my own personal page, anytime your oncologist says, I'm very, very happy, trust me, Barry, you're very, very happy. Absolutely, too. And I, I, I've i heard what you just said about waiting the two years and all that. But, you know, I would tell me if I was in if I was in your shoes, Jeff, the second that, uh, you know, my doctor, my oncologist said, you're cancer-free. I'd fucking take off my clothes and start running around my complex and saying, I'm cancer-free, I'm cancer-free. So, uh, yeah. Would you be running like a Welshman? How do, how do they run? How do Welshmen run? Apparently, you're not a big fan of Family Guy. But anyway, so uh, John, 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 John got that joke, please. <laughs> there you go. So, so anyway, uh, as we go home, I just want to encourage all. We haven't done this in a while, Barry. Like to ask you to go to the old uh, page on uh, iTunes, leave a review. We haven't had that done in a while, and so uh, if you don't mind, if you can't subscribe, 
to our beloved Patreon account. Maybe go in there and leave a nice message on the old review section. Uh, tell us your thoughts. If you hate the show, quite frankly, why are you listening? Why are you putting yourself through this? So we would encourage you to leave a positive, uh, maybe five-star review, Barry, uh, you know, uh, uh, for the old show. Uh, is that too much to ask, Barry? No, they absolutely should be leaving a five-star review. Yeah. So uh, if you want to leave a one-star review, I can recommend a few podcasts you could leave a one-star review on. Not that I'm going to name right now, Barry. But until next week, for our producer, the sweet man, Luke Kippelman, and for my co-host, Barry Rose, they call me the booker. Breaking Cave without it and Barry, a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We're out, Luke.